Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I remember at that stage discovering the game Monopoly. Absolutely mesmerised by that game and didn't understand anything about the investment or didn't understand, you know, the whole concept of property portfolio. But I just loved that game and the idea of buying multiple properties and uh, working your way up to, you know, building hotels on your sites. It was just amazing. And, you know, and that's, that's sort of what I'm doing in real life now. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode on Property Investory, we're chatting to passionate property developer Danny Chiyama, founder of Urban DC. We'll follow his journey from architect to property developer, how his foray into property investment involved taking his future wife on dates to auctions and open inspections and how his interest in property stemmed from playing Monopoly as a child. Having done so much with his time, Chiyama shares what he has done to become successful. I'm a director of um, Urban DC, uh, which is a property development company that I formed about five years ago. Um, So I've been developing some, you know, medium um, to high density um, residential buildings for around 20 years now. Um, Started out as a registered architect um, but pretty quickly moved into uh, project management and development management and then um, became a developer very early uh, in my career. So, So in the last 15 years I've you know completed over say 20 development projects um, and currently with Urban DC, I've got two two projects under construction, um, one in uh, 308 Carlisle Street, Balaclava, which is 38 apartments um, over retail. I've got one um, under construction in Roselle uh, in Sydney, uh, which is 22 high-end apartments. Um, and I'm about to uh, market uh, a project I've got in Caulfield, which consists of 18 large owner-occupier Apartments, uh, and I've got you know further two projects in in planning at the moment in Sydney. One's in Rose Bay, and uh, the others in Bondi Junction. Um, yeah, and and just completed um, a building in Brighton, uh, which is twenty six uh, high end owner occupier apartments um, called Oscar Brighton. And only a couple of weeks ago, uh, that that building won the Bayside Council Design Excellence Awards for medium density housing. So that's a a nice accolade to have. Entering into property development was a natural progression for him after architecture when he discovered the later wasn't for him. It was just, um, it was one of those things where, you know, I've I've always wanted to be an architect and, and by the time I actually became one, I just felt it wasn't satisfying the overall experience of what I wanted out of property. Um, I found myself just constantly at a desk, you know, documenting and drawing. Um, I liked 
I was really attracted to the to the other side of property, which was, you know, creating it, developing it, um, sourcing sites, sourcing buildings, apartments that I could renovate, um, and and that just one thing led to another, you know, and I just I just got into I wanted to be more hands on in the project management side initially, um, and then that just grew into doing you know my own projects. So, what does he do in any given day? I've got, as, you, as you've heard, I've got several projects on the go, so I'm constantly uh, rotating from from one project to the other, um, and depending on on the the phase uh, a particular project is in, that will determine how much I spend on one project. You know, I might spend three quarters of a day focusing on one element of a project, and then you know, ten minutes on another one, and and so forth. So. Um, you know, it's just whatever's required. So, I'll, you know, it, it, I might be going to a planning meeting, talking about all the, the issues surrounding about that um, for our submission. Then I might um, move on to a marketing meeting to talk about the, the brand, uh, the brand mark for the project and, and, and marketing material. Um, I'll might go to a site meeting and, and talk to the builder about how the progress is going on site, um, visit sites um, whilst I'm doing my due diligence. Um, and there's a lot of desk work too, you know, undertaking feasibility studies, um, talking to valuers, talking to bankers, um, you know, right through to marking up plans with a red pen, which I often do, send it back to the architect, um, and the list goes on. So, yeah, it's just, you know, rotating rotating through all those elements that's required in order to keep the projects going. Wow. <laughs> it's nonstop and, and it sounds like you do have to rely on a team very heavily because you just can't do all this yourself, can you? Yeah, no, I've got I've got um, I've got a, a team that assists. You know, I outsource a lot of it, um, so I'm sort of like the conductor, sort of controlling it all. And you know, I've got a team of people out there, which you know, team of architects, team of engineers, um, and they're all and, and in many cases they're different teams on different projects. Um, so you know, Roselle, for instance, I've got a totally different set of consultants that I would have on on my Melbourne projects. Growing up in a country era, Chiama's first attraction to property was influenced by his father in the board game Monopoly. So I grew up in Kilmore, country Victoria. Um, yeah, so um, uh, dad, my dad was a um, uh, trained horses and um, harness racing. So I grew up on the farm with lots of animals and horses, and um, and you know spent most of my childhood either. Um, sitting on a sulky behind a horse or, or at the races. I went to a school in the country, but um, from, from an early age, I always wanted to be an architect. So, um, you know, I, from as, as early as I could remember, um, I, I loved drawing and, and sort of loved property. Um, my dad, prior to training horses, was a, um, a builder developer. So he built um, spec homes and, and apartment buildings and you know, from an early age, I was always on building sites and, you know, can still um, remember the smell of sawn timber, you know, when the framing material was going up. Um, and I remember, you know, playing around in the garage and, you know, at the age of eight and, and looking at um, all the architectural plans, all the um, documentation that Dad had for all these building projects and I was just mesmerised by it. You know, and that was back in the days when it was all hand drawn, and um, I just, I just knew then I want to do this. You know, I want to be an architect. 
Um, so, you know, I always had a, a flair for it and always knew what I wanted to do, and which was good for me because it gave me a lot of focus whilst I was at school um, had something to work towards. Um, and in terms of property itself, you know, even I remember at that stage discovering the game Monopoly, you know. Um, I was uh, absolutely mesmerised by that game and didn't understand anything about property investment or didn't understand, you know, the whole concept of property portfolio, but I just loved that game and the idea of buying multiple properties and uh, working your way up to, you know, building hotels on your sites. It was just amazing. And, you know, and that's, that's sort of what I'm doing in real life now. While at university, he undertook several hospitality jobs prior to pursuing architecture as a career. Oh, no, no, I went straight to uni. Um, it was a, a five-year course, so it's a long course. Um, and I did the last year um, over two years because I wanted to work. I just couldn't wait to get out there. So I worked in an architectural practice um, whilst I was studying part-time for the last two years. So, no, straight into it. No, I did the odd job whilst I was going through uni um, to help put myself through. You know, I did everything from, you know, kitchen hand, chef, um, you know, cook at KFC, I was a waiter, a barman, I, was, I steam cleaned carps, I did all of that. Um, but, you know, professionally, I went straight into architecture. Great. And how long were you in architecture before you jumped into doing project management? I was in it, I was in it for about two to three years. Um, you have to do a two-year period to um, fill out a logbook and become registered. I wanted to become registered. You know, I, I, I'd come so far, I wanted to be able to say I can call myself an architect. So I did that, and probably after about three years, I um, I got in, got into project management at um, Village Roadshow, and that was a great um, experience because uh, you got to see so many different facets of a building process. You know, not only did we manage um, the fit out um, contractor, we also managed um, the relationship with the landlord because it was always in you know like shopping centres. Um, so there was a lot of lessor, lessee type um, relationships that had to be managed, and then um, over and above that, we had our own um, our own contractors, our FF&A or fit out contractors. You know, the carpet, the curtains, the seating, projections, um, and and you know, so there was a whole heap of things that had to be managed. So you really, really, uh, it was a great training ground to sharpen your skills in project management. Wow. Okay. And how how long were you there for? testing my memory now but probably five or six years yeah it's five or six years i got sent over to geneva to develop the first um multiplex in in switzerland for village roadshow so um i did that and then when i got back i i knew i wanted to move into development um and that's when i got a job for at Dockner's authority as um, development director which was a really good springboard into the development industry <music> Educating himself in property development rather than jumping straight into it was part of what contributed to his success. He also recommends that aspiring developers attain hands-on experience as well. It's a funny thing, you know, you, people, a lot of people jump into property development. Um, I know, would you jump into a, um, into a surgery, you know, and, and operate on someone if you didn't train as a doctor? You know what I mean? So, it, it's um, people seem to think that... Um, Anyone can, can do it, but it takes a lot of time and, and years of experience to get it right. Back in, back in my day, there was never really a property development um, course at uni. I think now there may be. Um, there was always project management courses, and they were even sort of quite new, even back then. I'm talking, you know, 20, 25 years ago. Um, 
it's look people come into the industry from many different um avenues you know there's architects that become developers there's um quantity surveyors there's builders there's um you, you know there's all types of people that that enter the field and everyone has their own journey and experience i'm not i mean you know the the probably easiest thing to do is get a job with a developer and and you know learn project management skills start off as a junior sort of assistant project manager and, and work your way up to development manager that's that's what i would recommend um and you know even when i was um doing architecture or working as a young project manager at village Roche, i was always buying uh, apartments and houses and renovating them and you know i always did that on the side so you sharpen your skills bit by bit sort of outside of the workforce as well. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into Chiama's property investing and development journey about where he started. I was in um, partnership um, in a company called Urban Inc. So we had that for about seven or eight years um, and that was in my own right with another partner. How the great Australian dream of owning your own home has evolved. It just becomes more commonplace just becomes a common thing that oh yeah I'll sell my house and I'll move into an apartment. Um, so that I think that market's going to get stronger. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey podcast listeners, are you enjoying listening to these stories and want more? Then head over to propertyinvestory.com and subscribe to receive your free property case studies that I only send exclusively via email. Just one of the many benefits of being part of this community. These real case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific numbers of their portfolio, the strategies and much more. Simply visit propertyinvestory.com to get your free case studies. Now back to the show. Beginning his property development journey, Chiama worked for various companies before entering into partnerships with them. You know, we did lots of projects there as well. Um, and prior to that, what really gave me sort of the head start was I, um, I entered a, into a partnership with um, a, a well-known developer at the time called Morris Schwartz who um, invited me in as a, as a partner in a company called Pan Urban. Um, and that, you know, that was oh, probably probably around about 20 years ago, actually. Um, and I was managing director of Pan Urban and um, a part, took a partner there. And that was, you know, a really good entree into property development because I had a, an, an older mentor that sort of, um, you know, taught me the ropes and um, or helped me sharpen my skills. And, and yeah, I moved on from there. So I have been, you know, doing it for about 20 years, um, but, in, but in, in different phases with partnerships with people. So, what, what's been the difference in doing it with partnerships compared to, say, running your own um, property development company? Oh, you, you don't have um, you don't have to um, check with your partner. If, you know, decisions decisions you're making. Are you happy with that? Yeah, you know, and you, each partner are equal. You know, you're always checking with each other, and you're always on pretty much always on the same page. But you run your own race. You know, you, you run your own race. Yeah, you know, sometimes you need partners because sometimes if you may not have the the overall rounded experience, you might be stronger in one aspect of of development and your partner might be better in another. You know, I mean, there's lots of people that come together where someone might have great financing skills, knows how to, you know, um, arrange capital or raise capital and then he might get into partnership with someone 
um, that understands construction you know, and has a building background, and those two sort of um, complement each other. So it just depends on your own. You know, I, I tend to have a well-rounded um, balance, you know, of experience amongst all facets of the of the industry. So I'm okay to go it alone. You know, one minute you've got your 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 design hat on, marking up plans. The next minute you're you're looking at a feasibility, trying to work out a cash flow and the internal rate of return. And then the next minute you're talking to the lawyer about an agreement. Next minute you're talking to a builder about you know construction techniques and types of materials. So you you need to know, you know, a little bit about everything. Danny's target market is towards the luxury downsizer market, which was different to the urban inks market. Prior to that, we we targeted in Urban Inc. We targeted the investment market, um, and and that was probably a function of the of the timing of that market. The, the investment market was very strong, um, and the Urban Inc. model was to develop um, smaller sort of investment driven apartments that were delivered to the market at a, an affordable price point, um, but you know dressed up to to look really good. Um, design was always important to us, so our buildings always looked spectacular, and they were always built well. Um, and and that was our market, and we used to sell through investment groups, um, and uh, and and some were offshore sales as well. So when Giama started Urban DC, his focus was on smaller boutique buildings. I really focused on um, doing smaller boutique buildings that were um, targeted towards the owner-occupiers um, and, and better, more higher-end buildings. And, and that's why every building that I've done so far in, within Urban DC is, is within that sort of those parameters. Um, so, you know, I just get um, more pleasure out of designing a large three-bedroom or a large two-bedroom apartment that has really nice, spacious rooms, um, better finishes, you know, just better environments for people to live in rather than targeting the smaller apartments for the young students, you know. Um, so that's that's the Urban DC model. That's owner-occupier yeah, owner uh, product in infill, on infill sites in um, established suburbs. Mm. And is that because the, the market now is changing towards that? Because, I mean, I've been speaking to a few developers recently and they're saying that with the, the baby boomer population starting to move on to retirement, um, they, they're obviously still owner-occupiers and want something a bit different in the market. Is that what's driven that? There's, there's no doubt that um, the market, that market segment is stronger um, and there's no doubt that the investment market has um, become you know, weaker and it's not as strong as it used to be. Uh, yeah, so that's one driver. But look, I think that market's always been there. Um, I think, you know, with when I was with Pan Urban, we we developed for a one St Kilda Road, which was very very high end, and it was one of the first wave of um, owner occupier um, buildings. And at the time, there were several being built. It was around about two thousand and seven, and that was the first wave. Um, the very first was the Melbourneian, which was a cycle, you know, a, a property cycle before that. Um, and but in 2007 there was Lucient, um, one Clarendon Street, four and one St Kilda Road. There were a few projects that were targeting um, those owner occupiers, and I think that was probably the first time they really, or the baby boomers really started to sort of um, start that journey of downsizing. It's clear that times are changing, with the Great Australian dream of owning your own home evolving into low maintenance, minimalistic apartment living. Since then, I think it's always been there, um, and I just think what's happened is the 
population growth and you know Im immigrants coming in and Asian students and just population growth in general has created a demand for investment driven stocks so you know a lot of the developers focused on that but even even during that period of time I still think there was um, there was a, a demand for owner occupier stock and I think that's going to continue I think that's an upward trend particularly as the younger generations come through I think the baby boomers are the first cab off the rank that sort of experience this, um, you know, this apartment living. I think the likes of you and me and, and, and generations even before us, um, it just becomes more commonplace. It just becomes a common thing that, oh, yeah, I'll sell my house and I'll move into an apartment. Um, so that I think that market's going to get stronger. Although for the most part, things have turned out well with Chiama's property journey, he does have some regrets. Look, my, my, the only way I could really answer that question is to say that my biggest regret is um, selling some of the properties that I have. You know, I, I sold, um, I've sold properties along the way and I look back now and, and I know they've tripled in value and and I know at the time I probably could have held on to them but I just thought, oh yeah, it's run its race, I'll sell it and move on. Um, so my regret is actually selling and, and not holding. Um, but, you know, I guess as time goes on, you, you sort of realise sometimes you need to retire some debt, um, free up some capital uh, in order to move into something else, um, which was, you know, what I did, but I regret it. When he initially got into property, he would take his partner on dates to auctions and open inspections in order to find an affordable investment. Funny story, my wife likes hearing this story and she reminds me about it a lot. Um, so when I was about 26, um, 1998, around about there, um, look, I always wanted to buy property. I just started working and, and never really had much money. Um, I read a book called Building Wealth Through Investment Property by Jan Summers. Um, that, that was a life-changing book for me. I loved that book and I've still got it on my bookcase and always referred to it um, and you know some of the things in that book were about you know buying multiple properties and sitting on them and you know watching them go up in value and then drawing against them and all of that so I wanted to do that but I, I just didn't have the money um, and I was only sort of a couple of years into you know a lowly paid sort of graduate architect's job um, barely had money to sort of pay for the, the car and the rent rent every week um, so I started going out at that time. I started going out with my now wife Michelle, and um, I recall taking her out to um, uh, you know auctions and open for inspections on weekends. Sounds like very fun. Sounds like very fun dates. I, I just can't believe she put up with it, but she did, which was good. Um, and anyway, eventually found a great little apartment, one bedroom apartment in um, South Yarra. Uh, you know, brown brick building, punt road, noisy street. Um, it was probably at the cheaper range of what I could afford um, and and I purchased it. And, you know, back then there were like any number of one-bedroom apartments around South Yarra, Paran, um, for between $90,000 $90, and $100,000. Um, uh, and, you know, that was at the time when Rams and Aussie Home Loans were lending 95% LVR um, on, on your mortgages. So I need. I bought, I bought one. I found one, and um, it was ninety-five thousand. I needed nine and a half thousand dollars to complete the transaction. Right? Problem was, I only had four thousand in the bank. Um, 
So I, uh, I sheepishly asked uh, Michelle, my girlfriend at the time, for a loan. And without question, she lent me $2,000. Um, and then I drew out uh, cash from my credit card for the balance and scraped it all together and got the nine and a half grand and settled the property. Um, problem I had was I, I um, was getting paid on a monthly basis and I had three weeks to go before my next paycheck. So I had to go and get a personal loan uh, for $5,000. Back then, I don't know if they can they do it now, but back then they processed those loans pretty quickly. Um, got a $5,000 loan, paid back Michelle within two to three weeks um, and lived off the rest until, you know, from paycheck to paycheck and slowly paid off my loan and the credit card. So that's how I got into property. From there, Chiama's buy and sell strategy continued as he sold that apartment and moved on to purchase another where he would live. The good thing back then was you could those 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 apartments were returning seven percent um, yield and and interest rates were seven percent. So you know it was cash flow neutral. Um, I rented it out for a year um, and then uh, was able got got on top of things a bit more financially and was able to move in. Um, and I spent about five five thousand dollars on you know I laid floorboards myself and Michelle and I painted the walls. And um, and a couple of years after that, we needed to sell. As I mentioned before, you know, we moved on to bigger apartments and and bought a little house and needed to sell. And you know, probably two to three years later, I sold for one hundred seventy eight thousand. So, you know, I made I made seventy thousand dollars clear. And and that was an amazing um, uh, feeling to sort of turn over a property and end up with seventy thousand in the bank. Um, so that's. That's, um, you know, that sort of left a big impact on me and thought, I want more of this. I want to keep doing this. Um, you know, so it's been stepping stones along the way. So I did that and um, not long after I bought my property, um, Michelle bought a two-bedroom apartment in Paran, um, which we lived in when, when we got married. Um, that, you know, she paid 150 for that. And when we sold it, we sold it, you know, about four years later for 350 um so you know we sold as we went in order to cash up to buy you know our modest first home you know so it was stepping stones along the way and i look back now and go oh geez if i had held those properties they'd be worth a lot more but at the time you don't you you feel as if you know you don't want to sort of take on too much debt and you feel like you you need to sort of free it up and and sort of convert it into different properties as you go A life-changing aha moment for Chiama occurred while at university when he discovered the economics behind property. There was one moment which I can recall um, which is more about property development. Um, when I was at uni in my architecture course, we did a, we were in a class um, called Feasibility Studies and it was at the time when I really just sort of loved um, design, um, the built form, architecture, um, didn't really sort of know at that point in time that I wanted to, you know, be a developer as such. Um, it was more about being an architect. And the lecturer put on the board um, a feasibility where, you know, he explained to us how you can calculate the gross area, gross floor area of a building and put a, you know, apply a building rate against that. And then you, you work out an efficiency and then you apply a sales rate against the, the sales um, uh, net sellable area, um, and then you build up a feasibility and um, and and you work out a profit. Right? And that was an aha moment for me because what that taught me was 
how to monetize my love for the built form. All right, so it was the economics behind property. Um, so that was the moment I think was the crossroads where I knew, oh, I get it now. This is how you make money out of property. Because prior to that, it was all about how do you create a beautiful building? What do what does you know? What do human beings want? When you know what amenity do they need? The built environment, the built form, all about that. And then all of a sudden, was like, this is the economics behind it. Inspired by Chiyama's story and his property aha moment, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode on Property Investory. We'll talk about how to apply his strategy. There's no get-rich-quick schemes. There's no um, you know, magic bullet, so to speak. It's, it's hard work. Habits which have contributed to his success? Training myself to have to know every element of the, of the um, process so that nothing comes undone, you know. Um, I would sort of say my, my biggest trait um, is, is that I'm relentless, you know. And that's next time on a future episode of Property Investory. Also, if you haven't subscribed to receive your free property case studies that I only send exclusively via email, you can text me your email address to 0499881040 to subscribe. These real case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific numbers of their portfolio, the strategies and much more. Simply text me your email address to 0499881040 to get your free case studies. Thanks for listening.